Welcome to Talking Shop, the podcast all about Adobe Photoshop. Brought to you by learningphotoshop.cc. Here's your host, Dave Cross. Well, hello and welcome to episode 13 of Talking Shop, the podcast all about Photoshop. I'm Dave Cross. In this episode, I have a very interesting chat with professional creative Mark Heaps. I'll start the interview with Mark in just a second, but let me tell you a little bit about Mark from his official bio. Mark Heaps is the executive director for Heaps LLC in Austin, Texas, a digital communication studio that specializes in moving passive audiences to participatory ones. There, he and his team design and make engaging experiences through both digital and analog experiences. He is a two-time Adobe Max Masters Award recipient and has been a featured speaker at Creative Pro Week, SXSW, Adobe Max, How Design Conference, and the Design Symposium for Bloomberg University. When he's not working for clients, he's a dad, husband, foodie, and wonder-lusting travel fanatic looking for a great place to take pictures. You can follow him online at Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter with the username at LifeByPixels. Here's the interview with Mark. I'm here with Mark Heaps, who's joined me on the podcast to discuss things about Photoshop and related topics. So, Mark, why don't you give us the kind of quick version of how you got <laughs> where you are today and the oh, kind of man. things you that you do. How did I get to where I am today and do things do? It's a really long story, but the short version is I traveled a lot as a kid after getting out of college, studying art and design, and somehow ended up in Silicon Valley because my older brother said, hey, they're doing this thing called the internet here, and I think they'll need nerds like you. (laughs) And I just happened to end up uh, in Silicon Valley and met some people from Adobe. And then shortly after that, I went to my first Photoshop world, um, which I think was 19 years ago, and uh, saw what everybody was doing and and that sort of became a turning point and inspired me from there and and then it career grew i became a senior image expert at apple kind of following in burt monroe's footsteps okay and then now today i lucky enough to work for my wife that owns a design agency in austin texas so what would be a typical <laughs> that's probably a bad word to use typical day in the life because i'm sure <laughs> nothing is but the, the typical kind of jobs that you're working on or projects that kind of thing yeah certainly back in the day it was more traditional um you know you would do brand campaign projects um but now we about 85% of our work specializes in what the industry is now calling communication projects. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of presentation design. So if you think of TED Talks, thought leader presentations, things like right. that, we design a few hundred presentations a year, probably close to 50,000 slides a wow. year. And that involves everything from lifestyle photography to product illustration, product photography, data visualization, infographics. And so it's, it's a really beautiful place because I no longer even call myself a designer. Um, I go by the label of just professional creative because of doing this for 27 years. I have been a photographer full time. I have been an illustrator full time. I have been a designer full time. I have been an art director full time. And all of that is finally in my career come together and allows me to just be this toolbox for people, which sure. is really cool. Cool. So what what led you down the path of, of starting to teach things? Yeah, that was unexpected. I was working at an animation house in the late 90s in Silicon Valley uh, when Flash was first becoming a consideration. And um, one of the heads of the studio said he taught at a college and the Photoshop teacher had quit. And so he said, hey, would you like to come over tonight and maybe meet the department head and consider 
taking a role as a Photoshop mm. teacher, um, which I thought was ludicrous because I was in my early 20s. Like, <laughs> I can't be a teacher. And I went and I ended up getting that job and I taught Photoshop at multiple colleges for almost seven years. But all in that time, I was attending conferences and networking and meeting sure. people. And then I started ghost writing for people in their Photoshop books. And so that kind of got people who were out there teaching it conventions and conferences to know who I was. And right. then eventually one day someone at Adobe said, how come you don't do this? <laughs> and I said, well, no one's ever asked. <laughs> and so um, they dropped my name with an event and they said, oh, we'd love to have you come out and speak. And it, my, so my first event ever of scale, uh, they invited me to be the keynote speaker, which was crazy. <laughs> and so I got to be the keynote speaker at that event. And then it's just kind of exploded in the last seven years, nice. doing more and more of it, which I, I completely appreciate the opportunity. It's so fun. Awesome. Now you did a, a class. I'm not sure how long ago this, but I just came across it the other day on Kelby one mm. where the, the kind of theme was an interesting one to me because I've always been along this lines. I think it was, was like production advocacy was yeah. kind of the concept and it's a very interesting term and, and it struck me two things about it struck me. First of all, for doing client work, yes, makes perfect sense. But then I also thought even as an individual for yourself, it's like you're your own client in yeah. a sense. So explain a little bit about what that, that kind of process, the, or the yeah, thought that, behind it. That became a theme when I was a director at an agency near San Francisco and constantly meeting the, the challenges of our design team when they would do production and then you know, a month or two months would go by and a client would want to change. And you open this file and go, who made this mess, <laughs> right? This is horrible. And you realize like a lot of time you had to redo work. And so I started this theme called production advocacy, which is respect others, respect yourself. And the idea is just never painting yourself into a corner. So we know we can make beautiful things. Can we make beautiful things the right way? Sure. And this idea that you should expect changes, you should expect issues to happen. So how do you gain efficiency and produce advocacy for one another? And it really was a mindset of caring about yourself and the people you work with. And so I, I talk about that a lot during my sessions and Kelby had said, do you want to do a class? And I said, well, I kind of have this thing that I've always taught to people that work for us and people that um, maybe we get to contract with or clients that we collaborate with because we work with a lot of other agencies and we get this feedback saying, man, you just never leave us stuck. Mm. You never leave us trapped. And so when we did the course for Kelby, I said, Hey, I, you know, I want to show some of these production tips and tricks like so many other people do, but I want to explain why it's not just that, like I can do this in the least amount of clicks. Right. And, and I, I see this online. It blows my mind in, in production forums, design forums. People go, well, I can do that in eight seconds. <laughs> you see people in retouch and go, well, if it costs more than $2 to retouch the portrait and I go, oh, like, <laughs> it's not a race mm -hmm. in that mindset. But the idea of like, why do we do these things this way? The feedback we get is phenomenal. Just people saying, I just don't think about work that way. And I realized I can be better. Right. And that to me is where we're actually making a change for people. Cool. I remember, uh, well, it still exists, but Morty Golding, who used yeah. to be for many years, the, the product manager for Illustrator, yeah. his company is called Design Responsibly. Yeah. And I always yeah. thought, yes, that's yeah. such a great name because it's it's so true. You know, it's, Morty's a big inspiration yeah. for me. It's so that, you know, the, the typical example that I used to give was uh, when someone would design a logo and like an illustrator and they needed to say a half circle so they would draw <laughs> 
a white box to cover up half the circle. And yeah, on the white background, it, it looked perfect. But I'm that's like, that's exactly right. That's not exactly, you know. So that's the now as a as an individual Photoshop user, since this is our, our audience is mostly Photoshop people. Sure. How can they apply that same kind of theory just for themselves in terms of creating work that? Both is they can work efficiently, but then if they need to make further changes or repurpose, what kind of strategies would you suggest? Yeah, you know, um, it's interesting. I think for years in Photoshop, we heard the marketing term of like non-destructive editing, non-destructive editing. That was a really big thing, right? And I recently got told by an exec at Adobe saying, hey, we don't want to say that anymore. We don't (laughs) say non-destructive editing. And that, that surprised me because that is the core of this mindset. Sure. And so, you know, I tell people, are you using the numbers? Are you, you know, using some sort of math to apply to your edits? Are you thinking in ways that you can go back and change things? You know, for, and here's a really classic example. For years, we were told, use adjustment layers, right? Because they're non-destructive. So you stack that over your layer, image layer, you got your values, but if you don't like it, you can go back and double click on it, change it, you can delete it, whatever. And so we almost all stopped using the adjustments underneath the main menu which were permanently applied to the image. But then recently we had a huge campaign project for a client and I realized, oh, if my layer is a smart object and I don't use adjustment layers, if I go up and use the old school, terrible way of doing (laughs) things, it attaches itself to that layer as a smart Smart filter, smart filter in essence. Right. But now when we put that in CC libraries and it transfers throughout all the projects, it lives with that layer. And so this mindset of like, what can I do to make it editable and that it travels well? And so for me, it's always little attentions to detail like that. Um, when I see people's values, you know, if I, if I open a file from one of my contractors and I see their drop shadow or some measurement is (laughs) 52.3%, I can tell they didn't look at it. Mm -hmm. They just slid the slider until they liked it. Yeah wasn't really applicable, right? So for me, it's it's how precise can you be? And then what can you do to get the best results for the least amount of impact on you to be able to replicate it? Sure. That's actually outside of the presentation world. That's probably the biggest type of work we get now is we have a lot of clients that are art directors that create a look and feel. And then they come back to us and say, hey, can you put that into a system for us mm. um, so that all of our staff can use it? So we've done this for companies like Capital One, VMware, Dell, where they make something really beautiful. And then they want us to be the design engineers of that beautiful thing. I'm kind of intrigued to hear that that even Adobe is saying, you know, that the non-destructive, I still use that because... Yeah. Uh, in fact, at one of the early episodes I did of this podcast was all about why work non-destructively. And right. the biggest point I tried to make was it's not just about changing your mind. Right. You know, it's also can help with accuracy and even your creativity, because if you are experimenting, but you've done everything in a non-destructive way, at least, you know, you can go down some path. And if it didn't work, you don't have to start all over again. You can remove that adjustment layer or change that smart filter setting. But but that example you gave was interesting because in one of my classes, Photoshop World, I had start off by saying I used to say this menu of you know these adjustments were like the don't ever use them them. but if you make it a smart object and you want like five adjustments sharing one mask it's beautiful because it just makes it work even better than a an adjustment layer and being able to copy that style copy those settings apply them quickly now one of the uh recurring things I've been mentioning in, in these uh, this interview series is that I did a, a questionnaire that I sent out to all the people on my email list and mm. said, what are the biggest 
challenges that you face when you're trying to get better at Photoshop. And it was an interesting mixture. There were a few very common things like, you know, not enough time or remembering. But there was also an interesting one that I thought this might be applicable to this conversation is, I don't know where to start. Yeah. You know, where they kind of know what they want to do because it's like this photo needs help in this area, but they kind of stare at Photoshop and go, blank canvas. what's the first thing I should do? I have this photo that I know needs some work, but should I use the camera raw smart filter? Should I, you know, right. um, any suggestions as to an approach to take for that kind of thing? Yeah, it's it's an interesting problem, right? Because you'll hear from people like on, on a quest of fitness, like I want to run a marathon and you go, well, what kind of shoes do you have? I don't know what kind of shoes should I have? <laughs> You're like, okay, so we got to back up a little bit. Um, you know, I try to compartmentalize Photoshop. And so everything starts with the goal and then deconstructing the goal. So when someone says, I want to be able to, probably the most classic one you hear is, I want to be able to correct like old photos, like retouching old photos, right? And I say, great, then you don't really need to learn about X, Y, and Z. Right. Don't worry about those yet. You know, let's start. So what's the problem with your photos? Well, they're all faded. Okay. Then let's just talk about tone, Mm -hmm. you know? And so to me, it's that deconstruction and, and helping people understand like, just take bite-sized pieces of the bigger meal, you know, because anything you do, if you practice that one thing, makes it better. So if you can have old photos and all you do is remove the scratches, great, you made it better. You made it 100% better than it already was, right? If the next one is, I wanna learn how to color it correctly, great, you made it better, you know? Mm -hmm. So if, if that's the goal, just focus on that one thing at a time. Cause the, the, you know, when you and I started in this field, Photoshop was like stepping into learning how to fly a Cessna little airplane (laughs) for someone stepping into it today. It's saying, I want to learn to fly and they hand you a jumbo jet. It's just huge, you know? So it's like, what's that one thing you're trying to accomplish? And then as you go on that journey, the pieces do start connecting. That's kind of the cool thing about learning the Mm -hmm. software is you do get to a point where it's like, I'm really good at this. And then someone will inspire you and you'll see how maybe they do illustration. I mean, I, I still think back to the first time I saw Burt Monroy ever do a demo at Photoshop World <laughs> and it blew my mind. I think I spent the next year focused solely on how to paint in Photoshop, right. but then not realizing that that painting illustration technique in Photoshop, learning the brushes, learning the controls made me a better retoucher for photographs because I understood how the brushes worked. Mm-hmm. Whereas you'll see someone who retouches that never learned how to do illustration or painting. And so they never approached the problem that way. And so I think that's just a good thing. It's like, Hey, I don't have to become the expert at this one thing, but let me understand it. Let me sure. understand it enough. And then the pieces do start coming together. I'm, I'm smiling here because anyone who's been following these interviews, this is a recurring theme that's happening. Oh. I, because <laughs> almost everyone that I've talked to has said a variation on that same yeah. theme as well. Because again, I, the comment I kept seeing was, I don't have time to learn it, learn it all. And I'm like, well, then don't look yeah. at the project. And other people have said the same thing. Look at the task, you know, like, for example, Victoria Pavlov was talking about painting and she's mm-hmm. like, don't think about, I want to paint my dog. That's an, right. a huge project. Think about, well, let's start learning some techniques fur? for fur. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, I think that same approach, but you've added a really interesting layer on that, which is to say, but 
focusing on one task doesn't mean now you've only learned a skill for that task, right. but ones that you can apply and say, oh, well, when I'm on a mask, I'm still using the brush tool, so yeah. now I have a better sense as to changing the size on the fly or whatever yeah. it might be. And I think that's such an important lesson for all of us, uh, well, for learning anything, not just <laughs> Photoshop. It's a weird, it's a, you know, it's a unique thing outside of Photoshop, even in my own life, you know, I'm trying to learn other things always, always learning new stuff. And um, about a year ago, I decided that I need to be better at cooking. It was just one of those things that I never really spent time learning how to do. I was a classic eat cold spaghetti out of the can guy because I got to work <laughs> and I wanted to be better at cooking. And when I made that decision, I tried to dive in straight away. I got recipes and oh, I'm going to make this thing. And I burned everything and it was terrible. And I stopped for a second and said, wait, this isn't what I tell other people to do. And so I went on YouTube and I picked four tutorials on how to cook an egg. <laughs> and I actually like, okay, how do you poach an egg? And I spent a week learning how to poach an egg. And then I spent the next week like, okay, how do you, how do you do this perfect fried egg? You know, what's funny is now I'm cooking these crazy Asian dishes and Eastern dishes that use egg in with the rice and it's, it's so clear to me. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, we do have a tendency, especially in our culture to just think that we have to take on the whole task and not realizing anyone that became a master of their craft started at the very utilitarian level and said, like you said, learn to paint fur. Yeah. Don't worry about the dog's pose, the expression, you know, paint fur. That's a, that's a great place to start. Right. And when, when you feel like you're bored of that, then go past it. <laughs> and now I'm sick of eating eggs. <laughs> Any recipe. No eggs, please. No yeah, eggs. No, no more eggs in there. Yeah. yeah, I think my kids are over them. <laughs> All right, we're going to continue this discussion with Mark Heaps in just a moment. But first... It's time for the tip of the week. This week's tip is a simple one for people using Photoshop CC. If you were one of those people that weren't terribly happy with the change to the use of the shift key in free transform, go and get the latest update to Photoshop CC because now there's a preference where you can decide if you want to use the old behavior of the shift key or the new one. With short tutorials, in-depth multi-lesson courses, and live Q&A sessions, learningphotoshop.cc provides the Photoshop training you need to succeed. All right, let's continue talking with Mark. Now, Mark, I need okay. to ask you a question that I've been asking many people just to see their response. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit and say, okay. the world just turned upside down and you got a call from Adobe and said, uh, we would like you to take over the company. So you're <laughs> the, the emperor of Adobe. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and they want you to get started right away. And so they're going to say, we, and you have the power of changing anything, Photoshop, mm -hmm. Lightroom, whatever it is, what would be the first thing or things that you would would consider adding, mm. changing, making happen. Wow, that really does put me on the spot. <laughs> um, you know, because I I work with these executives all the time, designing their presentations. I see how hard their job is. So, from a consumer standpoint, a user standpoint, I I understand the frustration when people say, "Well, why doesn't this work this way?" Mm -hmm. And it's so obvious to me. Why don't they just add this? Right. But then you realize you're one of maybe a hundred thousand people asking for that thing out of a user base of millions. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's, so they, the idea is so clear to them. So to answer that question, I feel like I have to be really selfish. <laughs> um, you know, one of the things that I, I would change, I've had this conversation with others. So here we go. I would tell Adobe that they need to start maybe ranking where they're getting feedback to develop any of the software. And what I mean by that is we're using forums, you know, various forms of marketing platforms, et cetera, to collect feedback on any of the software. But 
uh, I don't know if you've ever been in the forums, but it is a lot of people that are starting out that are new. Yes. And their frustrations are, are because it is a complex suite of programs to learn. And so what happens is they complain and they want things simplified. I've heard some people say, dumb it down. But the problem is, is this software literally cultivated an industry and grew and matured that industry. And some of the simplification has been good. You know, I love the new select subject feature using artificial intelligence. I mm -hmm. think that's a great thing. I want to see that grow. But in other areas where it's become simplified, you realize that for people that are experts in the field, you truly are dumbing down our tools. And so I think I would love to see Adobe, if I was the emperor, I'd be like, hey, let's go cultivate the, not the Instagram influencers and things like that. Like, let's go get the top 100 people working in the field. Mm -hmm. Maybe that aren't even guys like you and I who are authors and instructors right. and things like that. Like truly like go talk to the senior production artists at Nike, you know, go grab those people and say, what do you think would make it better? Because those are the people that are solving problems and the rest of us, all the way down to the soccer mom designing flyers for her kid's team, we have to be willing to accept that there's a little bit of effort involved to become good at anything. And we, we've moved away from that. And I mm -hmm. think Adobe to a certain degree have endorsed that. And I understand you want to make things easier for your customers. You want to bring in new customers. But I think if I was the emperor for a day, it would be like, hey, go find this elite hundred users for each program around the world and truthfully pay them, you know, give them some sort of stipend or compensation and find out what they would do to make it better because their ideas are so in the field. Sure. It's, I, I see this as the photography industry. Someone told me once from a major camera manufacturer that they made no money on their high-end DSLR cameras. You know, you talk about the the pro level mm -hmm. camera. They're like, we don't make any money on those. We don't sell enough of them. But the technology we develop for that high end piece of equipment, three to five years down the road, trickles down to our point and shoots. You know, so yeah. face tracking. Mm -hmm. They made no money on face tracking for ten years, but as soon as it got down to where it distilled to one hundred and fifty dollar point and shoot, it made every person buying that camera better. But you don't start with how do we engineer the the point and shoot for the field, right? So I, I, I'm worried that Adobe doesn't do that mm -hmm. enough. I know they do talk to some of those people, but for Emperor for a day, <laughs> I would I would definitely cultivate sort of that elite user base. Sure, that's a really interesting approach. And I've been asking this question just out of, it's been kind of interesting to see the different answers that include something very specific like, mm camera raw should be an adjustment layer you know yeah. like something really specific like that i definitely but. did not get that specific <laughs> but no that's fine i mean that's what makes it interesting is to see but you've obviously looking at it from an industry standpoint yeah. of who's out there working and uh, and using it and and as you said those are the people in the trenches that are the the people like back in the day in the you know the early version of every software you'd always meet someone that said i figured out this workaround for yes. this thing and you were like That's you're it. my hero because you've solved a problem that eventually adobe fixed with some and, new version and they'll roll but, it in at some point yeah. yeah yeah absolutely i mean i think you know i remember when i first started at apple and i went in my first day and um someone said hey uh we have a really simple project okay so we were getting ready for i think MacWorld, and they said you know we've got this new program called iChat and it was just a little speech bubble icon with a little play video thing inside of it. And they said, so all the icons at Apple are designed at this really low res. I think at that time there was like 48 pixels by 48 pixels. They made them one-to-one -one scale. They said, so we need to have a print out of that 16 feet by 16 feet. <laughs> and I went, what? 
And they said, yeah, yeah, so uh, can you make that? And it was literally my first week. And I said, didn't, yeah. Didn't they really say, can you just make that? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I said, yeah, I think I can do that. And I finished, I think by the morning, and all of a sudden production artists from all around the company were coming over going, how did you make that so fast? <laughs> and they wanted to see those tricks and the ways that I was using some mm-hmm. of the tools. And and they all thought I manually painted it, but I wasn't. I was using you know, all kinds of different techniques. and that suddenly became a mindset of everybody in the Lava Lounge team that was working was, how do you do this better? Mm-hmm. And and that might have even been the inception point of the production advocacy thing. Mm-hmm. But it is people out there that know those tricks to get around the problems that suddenly become really great features. You know, right. I think back to like Burt Monroy being an influencer of Photoshop to ha- give us the jitter brush and scatter mm-hmm. brushes, you know, yeah. and, and his influence on that. It's like, Somebody finally, after years of painting lots of dots in random shapes, <laughs> someone said, why can't we make this a feature? <laughs> I think one of the things as, as Photoshop users that, that we have to remind ourselves is that because we use the software every day, as you said before, it, it's obvious to us. Like, right. why don't they just do this? Yeah. You know? And I remember being in a, a meeting years ago where whenever there was a new version of Photoshop, one or two people would come from Adobe to the mm-hmm. Kelby offices and sort of give us some insight. And on, on rare occasion, one of the people that came was one of the top actual engineers as yeah, opposed yeah, yeah. to a product manager. And a couple of times where we said, you know, it'd be cool if you just added a checkbox to do this. And you could see this look on his face is almost like the wheels were turning where he's like eight million lines of code, you know? Like yeah, yeah, to, yeah. To us, it was just like, it's just a checkbox. Yeah, and it's he just was a like, checkbox. Well, yeah, but that would affect these other 900 things. And and he kind of explained a little bit and we all kind of went, oh yeah, I didn't really think about that. So, yeah, it's well, context, right? And it, I worked for Google for a while. I was, um, I was a supervising manager on the book scanning project at Google because I was a digital imaging nerd and we had uh, over 1600 moderators worldwide mm-hmm. evaluating the pages that were being scanned. And you're talking tens of thousands of pages a day getting scanned, right? And on that page, can you find a copyright symbol? And the moderators would have to, for one task would be like, is there a copyright symbol on that page? Yes or no. And their job was to click yes or no. And the way they designed the interface for this tool, the yes or no buttons were far enough apart that it would take the average user three seconds to move the mouse across the screen to click it from the evaluate to yes, no. And I remember going to the engineers going, hey guys, if you just put that directly above that other button, we could literally improve productivity and accuracy. And the engineers looked at me like I was mental because I wasn't thinking about what was it really going to take for them to change the software, change the interface. And we fought hard on that and we won. They gave us a beta version for a small test group and that test group so outperformed everybody else that it became a feature they rolled out on that project. But at the time, the engineers were like, why don't you just learn to move your mouse faster? (laughs) And so I think a lot of people, when they think I want this feature and why doesn't it do this? They're really thinking it from a standpoint of this would suit me. Yeah. And I, I I think that's such a bad place for society to be right. Cause I, if you get into like a car, you're not immediately saying, well, what Ford should do for me is this. Yes. You accept that the car is the car. <laughs> right. so. Why isn't the knob further over to the left? Yeah. I'm left-handed. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think in part, it also comes down to, in a sense, we've been spoiled because totally. if you look at the history of Photoshop and one, it wasn't like 
I don't know that many people contacted Adobe and said, you should make a tool that will automatically fill using pixels and do a great right? job. But then yeah. suddenly Content Aware Phil appeared and we all went, what? Yeah. This is great. Yeah. So we get kind of spoiled by those things. So then they're like, well, why can't they just do this then? If they can do. that's you know? And that's that's actually the phrase at Adobe, right? They call them JDIs. Right. So they just do, just it. do it. So, you know, there's the innovation side, which are things, you know, like Content Aware and, and artificial intelligence and all that. And then there's this massive lift of product managers have to manage that's just JDIs. It'll be little things like, oh, why can't I use this quick key to do a brush? Because that quick key works on every other brush feature in the program. And a lot of times the product managers say, we just overlooked that. Mm -hmm. It wasn't malicious. It wasn't yeah. we were trying to make your life harder. We just... Yeah, that one slipped. Yeah, they got a huge list of things and yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just noticed there was a, a feature got added to CC libraries, where um, you know you could base a new library file based on your open document. Mm -hmm. And when I spoke uh, in Australia two years ago at Adobe Make It, at that time the instruction for adding a file to your Creative Cloud libraries that was a layered Photoshop file, you had to go through the browser and upload, and then eventually it would show. It was a nightmare. And I figured out a hack. I said, you know, if you select all layers and you hit add graphic, it actually converts it to a layered Photoshop document in the library. And one of the engineers was there and, and, and we were talking and he goes, I didn't know that worked. <laughs> and I said, how do you not know that worked? You made this feature. And he goes, yeah, I, he goes, but we thought of it as a layer. There was one that happened yesterday. A photographer got stuck and he said, hey, do you know when you have a raw uh, smart object layer? and you say add graphic to a CC library, it comes up with an error that says you can't add layers with raw components to a CC library. Mm. And he immediately was like, yeah, he goes, that's really frustrating. I want Adobe to fix that. And I was sat with him and I said, well, put an empty layer above it. He put an empty layer above it. I said, select the two, now hit add graphic. And it added it without any complaint. I said, you still have your raw layer in your CC library right. file? <laughs> and he goes, that's stupid. Why doesn't Adobe fix that? And I'm like, I'm willing to bet they don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and this is why. But more importantly, you just <laughs> have a solution now. So it's like <laughs> yeah, that's it. And, uh, they, you know, they, they learn things because we tell them what we would like. Mm -hmm. And then other industry technology, technological developments, right? But Adobe's just a collection of really smart people. They're not this sort of all-knowing entity that is carving a path for us through the woods. <laughs> In fact, more than anything, I, I always describe it as they're walking behind us as we carve the path. Right, watching where we go. And watching why did we cut that way? Mm -hmm. Why did we make that decision? And they say, hey guys, hey guys, stop for a minute. We got an idea. And then they get in front of us for a little while. And then we ended up catching up to them. And right. then we say, hey, why? let me take the lead for a while. <laughs> and that's where I think the forum communication, that's where the feedback is so important. Yeah, it's so sure. massively important. Well, I think a lot of people, I certainly didn't realize this for years, that there was, uh, in, I guess more recently than not, the option to opt in so that Adobe can actually kind of see, track, yeah. okay, this Which person features went up and clicked using. on that repeatedly. And, and some of the decisions they make are based on We've got thousands and thousands of these studies that say when people are making a selection, they're they're doing an awful lot of clicks here and there. Yeah. So maybe we made a button that said select subject, you know. So a lot of it isn't just based on someone saying, hmm, maybe we could do this. It's based on and That's a that fascinating feedback. thing too, right? Because we're in this era and having worked at Google, I understand people's fear of like the almighty tech overlords watching everything <laughs> we do. But... Again, if you look at the people that accept that offer, like, oh, would you like to submit 
you know, your yep. working log people, the people that are out there working professionally in the field, they tend to say no to that. Right, of course. And then the home user enthusiast says, yeah, I don't care. I'm not doing anything <laughs> special. And now that's the data that's influencing our program's growth. Right. So I tell people all the time, I'm like, hey, contribute, let them watch you. They're not yeah. stealing anything from you. Mm-hmm. And if they are, I mean, they're not stealing your credit card. Like what is, yeah. what, what are they really watching, you know? And uh, I think again, it's so important that the people that are passionate and working in the field be transparent because otherwise you're going to see clip art. Microsoft Clippy is going to be in there real, you know, in the next 10 years. Oh God. That gave me me chills. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, we work a lot in PowerPoint and Keynote and these presentation tools and Microsoft added a feature recently to PowerPoint that as soon as you start a slide, you draw your first object, a whole interface pops up that says, would you like design help? Oh, no. <laughs> and it's it's like Clippy on crack. <laughs> and uh, there's all these like templates and color suggestions. I was like, hey, stop shouting at me. I want to design it. And they're like, no, no, I'll just take that away from you. And I'm like, that's the part I enjoy. <laughs> I don't enjoy the putting stuff on slides. I enjoy the designing part. <laughs> I remember years ago when I used to teach PowerPoint classes a long time ago and <laughs> some of the built-in, you know, here's some suggested backgrounds and I used to only semi-jokingly say, apparently they hired the school for the colorblind yeah. to, <laughs> to design some of these because they're like, really? That's yeah. a suggestion, is it? Okay. And so, so I'll take an opportunity to give some praise to Adobe for a second. When they started adding the templates to Photoshop and Illustrator and, mm-hmm. and design in these programs, right? I was blown away one day. One of our mutual friends, Jesus Ramirez, reached out to me and I said, well, you know, what's been going on? We're chatting about an event we were at. And he says, yeah, but I'm really busy this week. I'm designing templates for Adobe. And I went, what? And he goes, yeah, yeah. They hired me to design some of the templates that are going to go into the program. And I was like, wait, wait, wait. They're letting people in the field. <laughs> actual designers. Actual designers, actual production people, not just design it, but build it the right way, the way we would really use mm-hmm. it. And that's getting added to the program. And I think that was so smart on Adobe's part to say, you know what? Maybe this is something we shouldn't do. Nice. Maybe this is something we should let you guys do. (laughs) And that permeated throughout all the programs. And I started getting emails from friends of mine that said, dude, I just got this really cool project. I'm doing templates for Premiere and I'm doing, and I loved that. And it it showed me that yes, Adobe still is listening and they still realize our value, which was cool. That's awesome. Mark, thanks so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. There's some great tidbits of information and (laughs) in there, they're going to help people, especially, I love the idea of, of really thinking of that being your own client to, to create documents that are going to be easier, you know, and, and spend the time being a little more finicky and accurate and and specific the first time so that later on it will help you. So measure twice, cut once. Exactly. I appreciate uh, you taking the time. Thanks for letting me uh, come on and hang out. All right. Well, that wraps up another episode of Talking Shop. Big thanks to Mark for a great chat. Hey, if you enjoy this episode and other ones, if you feel so inclined, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We'd very much appreciate that. I'm Dave Cross. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe and tell your Photoshop using friends. Find us at TalkingShop.show. This podcast is not authorized, endorsed, or sponsored by Adobe, publisher of Photoshop.